Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12 through 25 and the life of Abraham. Well, Timothy, uh, first of all, uh, an apology to you and an apology to our dear listeners. If, if my audio is not great, I have two really good excuses as to why I forgot my headphones, uh, my AirPods at home. And if you're on YouTube, you can see I got little hospital bands. Um, <laughs> What's God, your excuse? <laughs> God has gifted me... Um, the gift of newborn twins, and uh, they're currently in the NICU, uh, but they're doing well. I thank God for that. And uh, anyway, I got dad brain, and I'm not apologizing for it. I'm doing the best I can, <laughs> and Jesus has to do the rest. But that's that's so the in apology in apology for that. But um, I'll do better in the future. But thanks be to God. Congratulations, well. congratulations, Dad. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's certainly a blessing to receive twins into the world. And I see there's kids playing in the background there in your window. So life is good over there in Minnesota. Here we go. <laughs> I want to, I want to enter us to the right away into this story. There is so much here. There's so much here. Um, it, it boggles the mind and it does, um, engage the heart. And I want to start with that second part, actually engaging engaging the heart. We'll get you into the, the heart and the core of the story and tell the whole thing as we go along. But I want to start this uh, chapter. We're doing chapter 16. And don't be afraid, we will come back to chapter 15. <laughs> we promise. Yeah, we got, we're saving God. it for the Reformation, right, Jonathan? We're saving it's it coming. for the Reformation. It's coming. <laughs> we're not skipping it. So we're, we're, we're coming back to it. Uh, but Genesis chapter 16, we're going to enter into this. And, and in the moment here, um, I want to enter into uh, the gap between verses 8 and 9. Here's what it says. Um, the angel of the Lord speaking to Hagar. And he's, the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? More on that question later. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, and this is verse 10 now, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So there's the, here's the gap. You can't, you have to read this very, very carefully. But the gap is that the angel of the Lord stops. And he says, I want you to go back to um, Sarai and submit to her. And Hagar has no response. He has abs she has absolutely no response. She doesn't go back. She doesn't say anything. And what ends up happening is the angel of the Lord has to speak again 
to actually get her to do it. And we're going to examine that more later. But the point here is again, that. Again, Jonathan, again, and then again. Right. <laughs> right. It's, he layers on the promises. But go ahead and continue. Yeah. So the point here is, is the angel of the Lord tells, tells this woman to go home. Like, that's what happens. Go back. And this woman doesn't want to do it. Now, Timothy, mm, I like to put it like this. You, you have to have eyes for this kind of thing. And if I, I mean that, you do have to have eyes for this kind of thing. But once you have eyes for this kind of thing, you see it, you understand it. Um, I, I learned this uh, the hard way, um, both as a pastor, but maybe this experience will help this come clear. And uh, I used to I used to live for quite some time um, in the just across the river from where the masters displayed in Augusta, Georgia. And one of the things I learned um, is that during that time, something more can happen besides having fun in the sun and enjoying great golf. Um, it is also a time for human trafficking. And so uh locally, I noticed that sometimes people would try to help you have eyes. Like they'd say, do you see a young woman being coached? Um, do you see bruising? And so you start, the, 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 the public authorities were trying to help give eyes. So when, when you bring that pair of eyes to this verse, you tell a woman to go home, and she's not sure she wants to go. In fact, she's sure she doesn't. You can guess that something's happening in that home that should not be happening in that home. Now we're getting into this story. Now we're getting into this story. Because, like, if this is a monstrosity of a story, Jonathan. Yes. This is one of the most distressing, misogynistic, institutionalized slavery, forced surrogacy, like this is, um, and I know some Christian theologians have defended it, but I, I don't have the heart. I don't have the heart. And this is abuse, or at least mistreatment, if we want to use the NIV's translation of it, all of it's here. And look, this is this is right on the pages of Holy Scripture. We'll talk about why in a little bit, but this is also way too real. Like at the Masters, I could talk about when the Super Bowl came to New York. I could even tell you about how I walked literally a block from my church, Jonathan, a block from my church. I walked down the street, and if you look to the left, there's hookers there 24 hours a day, at least three to four of them. So now I have to cross the street because I can't be seen with them. And I think that there's a man behind all of it. There has to be. And, and so, you know, here we are. Here we are. Use, abuse of, of women. We're going to see that. In this case, it's another woman doing it, doing it. Sometimes it's a woman. Sometimes it's a man. But it's right here. And we need to see that now. It's not going to be all a downer, is it? But one of the... What we want to do, Jonathan, this is what we discussed, is we want to look at 
the major players in this story like how does how does the abuse happen um we want to be able to see that and and correct it and we want repentance we want to actually see the abused as well like truly see this abused woman named hagar but then so there's four major players and we're going to look at each of them abram sarai hagar and jesus and it, it the jesus part is so hopeful i i mean hang on for that part we're going there it's going to be really cool did i set that up well jonathan but first <laughs> yeah <laughs> hashtag but first big brother you just That's gave right. yourself, you just yeah. gave yourself away oh, shoot. But, but first sarai you want to let me read this. Let me read this, and then you launch us into Sarai. So, we're gonna. I'm gonna read half. So we we're gonna pick up the three major players b- before we get to Jesus. Now, Sarai. This is Genesis 16, one through six. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, "The Lord has kept me from having children." Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. So, Timothy, I want to, we're starting with Sarai. And what I want to do is, first of all, make a couple general spiritual comments and, and let you tag on as much as you want. And then I want to make some special applications to, to abuse. The first uh, general comment I want to make about, about this is um, here, here we have recorded, interestingly enough, the very first domestic disturbance in the bible <laughs> well like i guess if you you want to like throw out the murder in early genesis but right like but i mean marital like, like marital right, right 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 so this husband wife um this is the very first domestic disturbance in the bible we do get dialogue we get straight up dialogue between the spouses here and um I think Luther's right to point out that here the Holy Spirit um, tells you that he cares about uh, very mundane um, marital squabbles. He abs- the Holy Spirit dignifies it. He dignifies all of it. God cares about marriage. God loves this marriage in particular, even the incredibly n- nasty parts of it. Um, here we get, I mean, just think about it. Just think about it. Here we get in God, in, in, in God's sacred text, 
um, direct dialogue between spouses. So that, you know, I just, I, I hope it encourages everybody um, to, who's struggling in their marriage here, Abraham, Abram and Sarai clearly are struggling in their marriage. God cares about it. God dignifies it. God knows about it. All of those things. There's just a lot of great encouragement. So that's, that's the first, um, Timothy, did you want to build on that or just, just leave that there? I had one other kind of general comment after that. No, go ahead. Go ahead. The second, the second general comment here is, um, has to do with temptation. Here we have um, a biblical temptation. Um, Sarai um, is tempted to go away from God's way. We're going to make a special application of this to abuse in a second. Um, but temptation in our lives, um, I think we can learn here from Sarai's fall that, um, one, it ha temptation is, can be fiercest when you have to wait a really long time. It just, it's a really, really, really long time. At some point, you want to stop waiting. Um, this is why, biblically speaking, like Jesus is tempted for 40 days. 40 is a, it's, it's the biblical, like if Jesus was going to fall, it was going to happen over 40 days. It's, it's, a, it's a long enough time. Um, sometimes we can ward off temptation for days. Or, um, but, you know, here Sarah is fighting it for a while. The second, the second thing that I, I just want to notice about temptation generally is that um, it's it's a lot easier to fall to it when you have when you have good justification when you feel like you have good justification. See, Sarah, we have to understand something here. Sarah is actually after something that's messianic. <laughs> she wants the you know she wants the promised child. She wants to have the Christ be coming into the world. Um, that that is. I mean, maybe she had other goals. It, it, it does, you know, she says, I want to build a family through, through Hagar. So she, I think she is probably thinking messianically here and she has good motives. And those, those motives though, provide her justification to do something very, very ugly. Um, and so, you know, we can think, we can think about that a lot. Like, um, some maybe somebody wants to get married, um, that which is a very good and godly thing. Um, but but you maybe take a shortcut, you start sleeping with them first because he has commitment issues. And you see, like sometimes it becomes easier to do a thing if you feel like you you have a good goal in the end. So temptation, it's just a couple of things we can learn here about temptation. Like it, it's fiercest one, it's really long. Um, it's it's most difficult when you can actually try to have a good goal in mind. You can justify it a little bit easier. Those are the general comments I want to make about it. Yeah, I'll just build on your comments in this way. Like in your comments, you're imputing to Sarai a really high motive for this. Like I, I, a lot of modern theologians, and Tim Keller's among them actually, will imp impute very low motives to her and to Abram, by the way, like they'll say she wants to, she wants to make this happen because she, she feels displaced among women. Like she just, she, she wants to fill her womb. It's because she's barren. And then he, 
they go on to make applications about what's modern day barrenness look like. Women don't necessarily need to have children anymore. Maybe it's they need to be beautiful or whatever. And that's a, actually a, imputing a very low motive to Sarai. Like she's just this broken spiritual mess of a woman. Um, in, instead of her actually wanting the Messiah to come and she's just like to impute the highest of motives to say, I just need to minus myself out of the equation because it's my fault that Abram's not having kids. And maybe God never meant to include me in the promise because up to this point, she isn't, not necessarily at least, <laughs> not in her mind. And it's going to become more specific specific than um, in, in a minute where no, it, the promise is coming through Sarai as well. So like obeying and thinking about the role of the eighth commandment, like not giving false testimony against your neighbor is um, it's always, there's always some tension in there. And Abram the same way, like modern theologians make him into being like, like this is very lustful. Like here's a yeah, young like, man and here's a chance to sleep with somebody else he, and stuff like that. Right. And he's, there's no evidence for that. Like, and uh, more ancient interpreters, like from the medieval times, impute much higher motives. Where for Abram, this is this is gross. This is something that he doesn't want to do, but he's he's willing to sort of um, go along with the plan that nobody wants to actually do. See, so I, I think that's I think that's important to see here that. Um, we can we can have some tension in well, what is it that's motivating this to happen? Is it just Sarai's this broken, barren woman? She wants to be good with her neighbors, or is it really something that moves towards God? And is Abram just this lusty stallion of a man, or is he actually this? He's really thinking this in terms of God and His promises first. My Timothy, I mean, I gave myself away, and you're right to to come into dialogue with that. But the as I read Genesis, especially in the context of Genesis 15 and 16, the issue is the Messiah. The issue is the the promise of descendants. It's always the promise in Genesis. Always, always the promise. And I don't see this text significantly straying away from that. I don't see any other motives in the text. And so that's that's why. But I think people have to read it. People have to read it for themselves and wrestle with that question for themselves there. But those are just general comments. But now, like, so where does um, where does abuse come from? This is where we have to enter in, into the story um, a little bit. Sarah's barren. We find that out. Um, it's it's named. And what, what I think is really helpful to notice in in the text here is that um, we get a problem stated. So I'm in, in Genesis 16, verse one, we get the problem stated, stated um, Sarai is, is barren. Um, and then we get the, we get a conjunction. <laughs> we, um, the translation has, but. Now, if, if you're reading this um, biblically in a gospel-centered, Christ-centered way, um, it is possible at this point um, that the Christian imagination would finish the sentence. And it would say, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had born him no children, but God miraculously made her pregnant. 
And so you get you that's that's kind of our gospel expectation. And our expectations are subverted here, Timothy. Instead of getting but God, we get but Sarai. And so this is this but Sarai. And so this is what I want to say about it. Um, here's where when abuse comes in. Abuse happens when we are after one of God's goals. Uh, one of the good things that God wants to give us here, it's the Christ child. I really believe it's the Christ child that, that Abram and Sarai are after. Um, that, that we want one of God's goods, but we are willing to take a shortcut to get it. And this, is, this has massive applications for our lives. Where does Think about it. Where does substance abuse come from? You know, we'll come back to this, this sexual abuse here, but, but where, does, where does substance abuse come from? Well, substance abuse, you want to heal. You want to feel okay. Um, nobody wants to be hooked on drugs. Nobody wants to become an alcoholic. Nobody wants that. You, but you want, to, you want to feel good. You want to have peace. You want to have a, a moment where the, the, all the problems of life aren't pressing down your heart. Um, but you take a shortcut to get it. What you, do, you, you, you get a high. You get a high. And that's, so it's abuse. It's substance abuse. That's, you're taking a shortcut. Um, there, there's other shortcuts that, um, you know, the, 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 the shortcut here, of course, is um, add a third person to your marriage, you know, add a third person to your marriage, maybe, maybe then, maybe then you can have, um, you can have a baby. Um, so it's, it's the shortcut. By the way, this is the same thing that Satan offered Jesus himself. What was the temptation, you know? I'll give you, I'll give you everything. Just bow down and worship me. Take the shortcut. Don't go to the cross. Take the shortcut. This is what happens. This is where abuse comes in. Um, I don't want to wait on God for his salvation, for his goods, for his timing, or whatever. And, and you do it. I got one more application, Timothy, and then I'll and then I'll let you make an app, any applications you want to. Um, this is this is um, um sexual abuse. Um what is pornography? What is pornography? You you know, men and women, they want they want to love and they want to be loved. Pornography is a shortcut. It's what it is. It's a shortcut. It's not the real thing. It's a shortcut. And this text, this is what I believe, Timothy. This text is a is a shot across the bow. It's a warning. When you get to a place in your life, when we get to a place in our lives, when we're in pain, when we want one of God's good gifts, he may even promised it to us. He did promise the Christ child, and it hasn't come yet. Um, we maybe want to get there by going our own way. That's the problem here is Frank Sinatra, you know, Sarah made her theme, the theme song of her life in this moment. I did it my way. I didn't do it God's way. I did it, I did it my way. I added a third person to our marriage, and it, it doesn't work. Go to porn, you you get addicted, um, and and then you end up having to sit in premarital counseling and explain explain to your future wife um, how much you're struggling, or or worse, or worse. So beware! Don't take the shortcut. Do it God's way. It doesn't turn out okay if you don't. Yeah, and I, I guess the way that I wanted to like build on your comments, Jonathan, is like the results of it in Sarai's life. And 
One way is how she treats Hagar. And I'm sure we're, we'll expand on this when we get to Hagar. But she she flattens Hagar out. She she dehumanizes her. She turns um, Hagar into nothing but a walking womb. So that's that's one of the ways. Like if we wanted to talk about pornography, is you you dehumanize, you turn them into nothing but breasts and and um, sexual objects. Like this is this is what um, abuse, mistreatment um, always does. So it 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 makes people less than human in your own estimation. So we want to notice that it also makes you like if we want to follow Sarai to the, the very end. Two two other things I'd say it it makes her rather um, illogical. Like she her response to Abram is is she's very hurt like you abram you did this to me some people think she she's i put her i put hagar in your lap which there's a there's enough scholars out there to think that that's um sort of a yeah like innuendo like this is like a laugh dance or something like that where she is very very hurt she's she's there's there's her imagination's running wild you can imagine about what abram and sarah did and she can't accept the blame for that. It's it, she, so she becomes a little bit er- erratic, and then she does what I think is something very uncharacteristic, and she actually becomes cruel. And she, the text says, she mistreated Hagar. And some people, um, that that word has a huge semantic territory, where it could be that. Perhaps she assigned menial tasks to Hagar, or maybe she, uh, we could let our imaginations run to um, even physical blows or in everything, everything in between. But what one thing that we can say is that whatever Sarai did, whatever the tre- mistreatment was, was um, enough to make her want to run back home to Egypt because that's where we find her. And She's a runaway. So it must have been um, a very difficult mistreatment. And by the way, that's the same word that was used for Egypt's treatment of Israel during those 400 years of slavery. Yeah, you can't, Timothy, great, great insight. You can't read this story without realizing that this, what, Interestingly enough, what Moses has done is he has inverted the Exodus narrative here. That's exactly mm-hmm. what he's done. It's just a true story, <laughs> but it's an inversion of the Exodus story where here you have God's people actually oppressing an Egyptian. And um, it is it messes with your categories about who's the oppressor and who's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. By the way, like we wouldn't want to go so far to say that this that that the four hundred years of slavery is some sort of revenge for this, no. for that God. That we don't want to say, but this definitely is an inversion of what what happens later. Yeah, and it, and it's so obvious biblically, you can't you can't really miss that. I do want to leave with one little bit of encouragement to our listeners. If anything, what we're trying to do is this is a precaution. Like we can read this as a precautionary tale at this point now we're going to get to the gospel and center on christ but here as we look at sarah like what can we learn from this is for our learning and our correction right like so 
uh, you know, that's what Paul would tell us. And the way that we can correct ourselves is instead of when you're waiting on God, instead of let, instead of letting the story be your life, but Sarai, instead let it read. This is my encouragement, but God. And in fact, <laughs> like I think we should like this is so 2022, and I don't know if I really mean this, but like put it on a T-shirt or a coffee mug or tattoo it behind your eyeballs or something like that. Like, but God, when, when there's a problem in your life, when there's a pain in your life, you know, but God, God, God has promised to come through. By the way, in the story, we're going to find out in Abram's narrative, he does come through. He does send the child. God does keep his promises. And so when we wait, even when we're in pain, even when we have our questions, even when we have our doubts, God will prove faithful. And so going away from God, taking a shortcut is not the answer. Um, so if here's, Pat, you know, pastoral counsel, say, <laughs> say, but God in your heart and then do what Sarah I did not do. Pray. Call on God with your pain and wait on him to answer your prayers. That's Sarai. That's Sarai. So let's let Sarai go with that. And um, seeing it, everything that she did and why and trusting in, in the blood of Jesus later to come as well, that, that she would be forgiven and redeemed by that blood. But now we got to do Abram. And I'll just say this, Abram, is very passive in in this story like very very passive and he's also a wife pleaser in here he um this sarah's i sarah's idea that she brings to him and it's a temptation that she brings to him so a lot of people see connections with the temptation in the garden of eden and um, in fact, there's some verbal connections where it says Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, gave her to her husband to be his wife, and then Abram did it. So there's there's a lot of um, verbal connections. There's a reversal of what a husband's calling really could be and should be here. Um, first, in regard to the sexual temptation and in the temptation to bring forth the heir, the Messiah, but then later when um, Sarai makes her complaint against, and it's a little bit of an unfair complaint, but it's a complaint all the same, that he be judged, he, his response is, um, your slave is in your hands, do whatever you think best, which is, that's kind of like a shoulder shrug the way I read it. I know some people read it very positively, like actually do something that's good for, but that doesn't seem to be what he's, he's communicating. It seems like he's saying, just do whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. And then she does. Then she does. So um, Abram has much to repent of here, much. And just going along with the plan, um, you know, even, even legally in the United States, makes you makes you culpable and in, in God's eyes as well like he's he's um, guilty of sexual immorality here we, we could talk about polygamy and we probably should at some point um, but he's also guilty of mistreatment 
and um, domestic abuse. Yeah, so the, I, this, I, I want to build on your comments. A absolutely, he's he's guilty here, and but I want to I want to I want to talk about how tough this is. I want to talk about how to, not to excuse him at any rate, but actually to make some some important applications to our lives. Um, so it, right, it's easy to 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 beat on Sarah here, and she deserves it. You know. Um, she she needs to be covered by the blood of Jesus, and she is. But it would be easy to look at Abram and say, well, it was Sarai's big idea. Well, but Abram accepted it. And um, it, Sarai is the one who actually did the mistreatment, um, to use the NIV's language there. But Abram allowed it, and he didn't stop it. And so, Timothy, you're right. Um, and look, the law courts, um, you don't have to pull the trigger. You just have to allow for it. You just have to make space for it to be an accomplice. Um, there's, there's a statement. Um, nobody knows who first said it, but um, all it takes is um, all it takes for evil to triumph is for a few good men to say nothing. Um, you think about like, I don't know if this is Google's tagline anymore, but, but Google used to say, do no evil. And I used to always think to myself, well, that's evil, because <laughs> um, actually being passive is, is a moral act, too. Uh, to be passive in the face of evil is evil itself. It's immoral. Um, it makes you complicit in the crime. And, and Ezekiel, um, the great prophet Ezekiel, um, makes that very clear. He says, if you don't speak up, um, against evil, if you don't clarify it, that you actually share in the person's guilt and become guilty of it yourself. And so before God, morally, um, when we don't speak up and out against something that's wrong, we do become complicit in it. We become culpable ourselves. Um, so, but I think before we all say, Abram should have stood up and we would have stood up and stuff like that, let me complicate this just a little bit. And just to see how, how hard this is, the first way I want to complicate this is that this was a readily accepted practice in this time. They had learned this from neighboring nations. There was law code for this kind of surrogacy. Everybody, in other words, what I'm saying is everybody was doing it. We know that everybody was doing this wasn't unique at all. This, in fact, so Abram's looking around. Everybody's doing it. He, it's very, very difficult in circumstances like to 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 see clearly um, what's right and what's wrong when everybody around you is doing it and and everybody around you thinks it's just fine. Very, very difficult. Um, and I, I, I want to okay. Let, let me let me push into this topic um, on surrogacy. You realize on, on many, now there's a distinction too. This was for surrogacy. This is something different. But in 2022, we have, we're doing the same thing in our world. It's the exact, we have sperm banks. We have surrogacy. We make no mistake about it. In 20, we have law code for this now. As you know, Timothy, we have law code for this now. You can bring a third person in your marriage and it is completely acceptable to almost everybody today. 
So before we get all up on our high horse and say surrogacy, 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 um, whoa, you know, back off. This can be very, very difficult to discern. We need to be in God's word. We need to be checking ourselves. Um, and Abram didn't do, Abram could have thought about this for a second and realized God, he knew the institution of marriage. He knew it. These stories have been passed down. And he didn't think about it enough to realize this is not God's will for my life. This is not that this is what the neighboring nations do. This is not what we do. Well, even moral, uh, moral discernment, right? Moral discernment. This is hard. Yeah. And I'll draw a distinction between the, this forced surrogacy of Hagar and, and surrogacy today would be that the delivery of the sperm was very different than it is today. So that, that complicates things. Um, quite a bit. And I don't know if we want to, there's better resources, I think, to talk about the morality of, of surrogacy and, and, and some of those things um, out there. There's something else I wanted to say, but I'm blanking out about it right now. Nuts. Uh, oh, I know what I wanted to say. Just, just along the same lines, I jotted this note down just now that they had become very worldly in in the sense that you just named, like everyone's doing it and they didn't even bother to consider an alternative to the air, which would have been adoption, which was also um, legally accepted in the time and practiced wildly, uh, wide, widely. This, it didn't need to be done this way. There, there was, if, if Sarai was going to remove herself from the picture and, and Abram wasn't, reliably able to provide um, what he needed to provide it could have been done where they could have raised up um, an orphan and made him um, into the air if 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 they would have wanted to and they didn't they didn't so there you have it like it's it's um mm, there's a lot here and thank you for those um important distinctions all this is so so important for us to be thinking through as as christians but let me complicate it one step further okay like it's right it's easy to say stand up against abuse don't don't do it but but look why didn't abram do it because his marriage was on the line i'll tell you what think about it if if your spouse is looking back at you with daggers in her eyes and lightning bolts coming down from heaven. Make no mistake, she invoked God on Abram. This was very, very tense. <laughs> I mean, this was very, very tense. You and if if you are a spouse and you're hearing this kind of thing, what do you what are you tempted to do? Right? Like there's no mistake, no mistaking the fact that what Abram does here is he lays Hagar down on the altar of conjugal harmony. He wants to protect his marriage. He lays down Hagar on the altar of that. He doesn't feel like he can do anything about it without damaging his marriage. It's very difficult. It is very, very difficult to stand up and do the right thing when you don't know what's going to happen when you do. Well, I mean, think about it. Think of what, what's he supposed to say as soon as he, if he rises up in defense of Hagar, it's going to worsen it. Like, you just were in her tent last night, right? Right. right. Um, 
then Sarah is going to come Sam back. This is what Sam does, you, though, right? You this love is what her Sam does. more than me. Like he's in a no-win situation because of the choices that that he had made. And you know, sometimes, sometimes I actually say I get into these situations as a pastor with people, and I'm like, I don't even know, but let the blood of Jesus cover it, and we got to stop this. Let's not let it spiral any further. Let the blood of Jesus cover it. Because that's where they that's where they come to Abram and Sarai. I, my only point here is it can be very, very difficult for us to do the right thing. Um, before we like I would have stood up. Well, OK, <laughs> think think this through. We do need this is how abuse happens. You know, women, women will. Um, not just women. But people will I'm not stay with somebody they shouldn't stay with um, because they love them, but they're hurting the kids. And these are very, very difficult situations. Right. So here's Abram, and he is passive, and he does allow this to happen um, in his own household. There is, so here's the warning. Here's the warning. <laughs> I don't know if anybody... Um, who is listening to this podcast. But there's a warning for anybody who's an abuser here. Um, and, it's, and it actually comes in, in um, the name of Hagar's child, Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. And I, I, I think we need to hear that. <laughs> this, God's word, let me, let me go at it like this. God's word often comes can be the same word, but it means things to different people. And what I mean by it is this. I can say right now, Jesus is coming back. And depending on where you stand in relationship to Jesus, that's either very, very, very good news for you or very, very, very bad news for you. And in the same way, like when I say God protects, that is either very, if I say it's God protects the vulnerable, which is true. That is either very, 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 very good news for you or very, very, very bad news for you, depending on you, where you stand in relationship to the vulnerable. If you're the vulnerable one or for you're the one attacking the vulnerable one. And here as well, when God calls this child Ishmael, um, this is a shot. This is very, very, very good news for Hagar. <laughs> God has heard her cries of pain in that house. But remember, Hagar, you know, we haven't gotten this far, but Hagar is going to go back and he's going to say, you know, the angel of the Lord told me the name of this child. It's, it, it's Ishmael. And, and, and Abram, Abram would have said, oh, God heard. <laughs> <laughs> and th this is a shot across the bow. And that, that mounts up in the Bible. Um, Jesus is... More, so protective of, of the vulnerable. He's so protective of the vulnerable to the point that one of his most memorable sayings, of course, is that if you scandalize, that's what it says in the Greek, if you scandalize one of his little ones, um, you know, that could be children or vulnerable people. If you scandalize one of his little ones, it'd be better for you to right now have a millstone um, tied around your neck and you'd be chucked in the sea than for you to face what comes next? He's very, very protective. Very, very protective. And um, this is good news if you're abused. It's very, very bad news if you're an abuser. This is a shot across the bow.
So we looked, I think we did enough of Sarai and Abram. I think we need to take a look, a quick look at, at Hagar and, and see her here. And I think I just wanted to start off by saying like the narrative here, it moves um, so delicately and, and so beautifully. You think the narrative begins and you think it's going to be about Sarai and a Abram because they're the ones uh, moving forward the action of the story. But really what it's what the story about we, we, that we find out in the end, this is about this is about how God um, intervenes on behalf of Hagar. We're, as we look at these last two characters, we're going to see that. But it, at the beginning of the story, Hagar is a nobody and a nothing. She's dehumanized. She's nothing but a walking womb. She's not included in the conversation. Abram and Sarah, it's not like they're like, hey, sit, sit around the fire with us. We want to talk to you about this possibility of providing an heir. No, no conversation whatsoever. The, it, Abram and Sarai simply steamroll her. They, and then um, later they, she is mistreated. And I think we can rightly give the name. Um, she, is, she is abused. And so she runs away. There is an, this is a little bit uncomfortable, I think, for modern day interpreters like us. Um, Hagar is not only um, an abused person though. Like you, you kind of right. wish you could tell the story that way, but the Holy Spirit just doesn't leave open that possibility. She is, she, she does become an aggressor in the story, um, which goes to show you that, that nothing's ever that simple where um, there's, there's, on the one hand, violators and abusers, and on the, on the other hand, the violated and, and the abused. So we get in the story this very honest statement that when Hagar became pregnant, this is a circumstance that she began to despise Sarai. And so in some way, she let her know that um, I'm better than you. And it this could be... There's, there's two possibilities for that. I think one possibility is definitely the stronger one. The, the first possibility was that Sarai is, or excuse me, Hagar is devastated because she knows that Sarai is going to take away her child. So she's pregnant. Now her, her, her mistress is going to take away her child. So she despised her. I don't think that's likely, but it's possible that that's why the despising happened. What's more likely is that Hagar was really proud that she was able to get that she was able to get pregnant that seems to be what the narrative is is indicating and so maybe she just looked sarai in the eyes for the first time and sarai um locked her gaze and this upset sarai tremendously um but she despised her she despised her and this is i just wanted to just take time for reflection on that. This is something that we all do as human beings. Um, I wrote about it um, in, in something I, I wrote recently, how we do this even with people's grammar. Like somebody doesn't speak English correctly or they don't use the right um, terminology for something. And so immediately I'm better than you. And that's nothing but despising that sin too. We have to just be able to say that that's sin too. It's really one thing I love about the Bible is 
it does confront um, all of contemporary discourses, not just discourses that are contemporary in our time, but every time. And like, if we have a, a simplistic discourse about women, for example, <laughs> or men, um, you know, here Abram's passive and, uh, and Sarai is actually the big oppressor in the story. But, but if we, we want to only think of um, Hagar as a victim, she's not that simple either, you know? And so all of our, our discourses are screwed up. We can't have these simple categories of oppressor and victim or something like that. And in fact, um, the Bible actually wants to rip us out of those, um, those kind of categories altogether as the people of God, because he, we can't, as, as Christians, um, we can't be victims anymore because we're conquerors in Christ. <laughs> it's, it's not, our, you know, I don't mean to diminish anybody's pain in their life. There's tremendous abuse people face in this life. But, but ultimately, 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 that story is not definitive for, now I'm getting into too far. It's not definitive for our life. Christ and his victory is. And we can't be abusers and oppressors in this life because God has, Jesus Christ has paid for our abuses and he has set us free from the slavery to ourselves to love others. So he has ripped by the power of his gospel. He's ripped us out of those categories and he has made us a new people, Timothy. He's made us a new people. So we're not that simple, but now you got me going on that. Well, thank God for that. One thing I just want to say to wrap up these, these opening verses where we looked at Abram, Sarai, now Hagar, is that this is a hot mess. This, this is a hot mess. There's, there's nothing but sin. The only time the name of the Lord is invoked is for, for the sake of judgment. And we got three people, you know, Abram and Sarai, uh, participating in the oppression of, of Hagar. And then Hagar's missteps as well in all of it. And so what we have is this big, bad, ugly ball of sin that needs to get unwinded. And that's what happens in the second half of the story, which becomes clear. This is why it's in the scriptures. And I guess I want to read that now. <laughs> and this is where a fourth character shows up. And this is, this is the most important part of the story, I guess. Not that I know it, actually. So it says this. Um, so Hagar's run away, just to set the story. She's, she's been mistreated by Sarai. The very next thing is this. Um, she flees. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant. <laughs> she knew that. But here's the new thing. And you will give birth to a son. You shall Woo! name him Ishmael, <laughs> for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. That always cracks me up. 
<laughs> the, the wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bear Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son. Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So, Jonathan, there's two big points I want to make about about this closing section about this new character. So first I wanna identify who he is and then second I wanna identify what he does. So who he is, this is Jesus. <laughs> I, wanna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I, I wanna show you how I know that, okay? So in verse seven it says, this is the angel of the Lord, not an angel, the angel of the Lord. And this is the first time in Holy Scripture, that the angel of the Lord shows up. So that's that's his title. Now I want to show you what he promises to do. He says, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now, who in all of heaven and earth is the only one that can make a promise like that? God. This is, this is, you could call it, this is a Christophany. This is, a, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is the second person of the Trinity. Yeah. And to make this point, this is a big point. The very first time that Jesus shows up visibly in Holy Scripture is to seek out Hagar. So that, that's the first point I wanted to make, that this is Jesus. Now, the second point that I want, and that's a big deal, like I, I, I wish I could do like backflips and stuff. This is Jesus. Like, hello, this is a big, this is a big deal. Like the outcasts, the marginalized, the abused, the used, the flattened out, the dehumanized. Jeez, nothing will bring Jesus down faster than than for 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 the Hagars of the world. And the second thing I wanted to say is this is the very first annunciation in Holy Scripture. This is the very first enunciation, and um, we can we can talk about this more. And you already talked about Ishmael's name, and you did that really well. But I just want to point this out: the the proof that Hagar had in her heart and in her mouth now that God had appeared to her and that God had seen her was the gender reveal. So she didn't know she she did not know that she was going to have a son, and now she does. That is huge. I don't, do you want to build on my comments at all, Jonathan? I'm oh sure yeah. You do. <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're look, let's talk about this. Here we have a woman who lost agency of her body. Let's just be honest about that. She. This is a woman who lost agency of her body. This is a a woman who was mistreated. This is a woman who didn't want to go home because she was afraid of what she was gonna find when she got back. That's what we have here. This is a very hurting woman. She's, she's been treated like nothing. She's been marginalized. She's been pushed aside. 
Timothy, I'm going to use this word very carefully. This is such a huge idea in this text. This is a woman who had been unseen. Unseen woman. And what Jesus does, and, and Hagar tells us this in her own words, you are the God who sees me, is Jesus sees her. And, he, so, and, so, and what's, what's, what's really powerful about this is the gift of faith. I, this is what I believe Hagar gets here. Hagar gets the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is this. It's seeing God see you. That's the gift of faith. See, God was seeing Hagar the whole time. It's just that Hagar didn't know it. She thought she was just Abram and Sarai's punching bag or womb or whatever. Um, she didn't know that she had been seen, that she had been loved, that she had been known the whole time. We, so, we, Jonathan, we got to show you how she gets knowledge that she's seen. Like, this is what Jesus does here, like, is, is so instructive and so encouraging. Like, the first thing that he does is he shows up visibly. And I just want to notice with you that he doesn't show up as a burning bush. Like, he, this isn't Mount Sinai where the mountain's trembling. He's a person, he shows, yeah. This is a human being. Like, he shows up, he's, he appears as a human. This is not the incarnation, which, like, this is what it's called. <laughs> I mean, she's not, she she does not have to grovel at, because of of this terrifying image in her, in her eyes and in her heart of, of Christ Jesus. Instead, this is conversational. This is this is this is relational. Um, And that's how things start. Like Abram and Sarah, I don't even bother to ask or talk with her. But Jesus shows up as a human being. And he says, hey, he calls her by her name, which is so cool. Um, And then he's he, he wants to know about her. Like where? Where have you come from and where are you going? And you can tell that she notices the concern and she gives an honest answer, like right away, because of he's so tender here. Like I said to my church, Mm -hmm. Jesus knows how to love the marginalized. Jesus knows how to, to love abused women. Jesus, look at him love Hagar here. He's so kind. He's so tender. He's, he names her. He wants to spend time with her and hear her story. Isn't that cool? Like this is, this is the beginning of her understanding that Jesus really does see her, but it doesn't even, I, I want to keep going, but do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, I, I, I want to hear where you're going with this, but he does. It's, it's more than just hearing his story, hearing her story. He wants to direct her too. And we got to talk about that. For sure. And he, he, right away in the way that he addresses her, it, it, he, he calls her by her name and then gives her a vocation and says, um, Hagar, slave of Sarai. Already there's an indication like, oh, there's Sarai's not around. Something's going wrong here, but he wants to understand why, you know, why is she not with her mistress? And then she gives an honest answer. And then Jesus says something that's really offensive to a modern audience. And I think that we have to unpack a little bit. And you already led into it at the beginning of the podcast, but 
Listen, let's read it again. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. That's what he says. He says, go back. Now, I got to I, I gotta say two things about that statement. The first thing would be this, that I do not believe that Jesus is sending her back to abuse. And I, we should explain wh- why I think that in a second. But I don't think it's good pastoral care. And you can ask my members, because I've been in far too many situations of abuse, verbal or physical or otherwise. And I I can tell you this, when I get convinced that that is not going to stop, I've never sent them back into it. Not once. Same here. Yeah. I can't, I can't um, ever believe that that's what Jesus is doing here. Now we got to come back to that thought. The second thought I have is this, is that um, Jesus, and this is uncomfortable for modern audiences, but it's just it's just absolutely true. Jesus is is unafraid to send us back into uncomfortable situations because this would have been. And one thing that I think we can learn about Jesus then is that he is all somebody said this to me, said Jesus is more interested in our spiritual growth and in our character than he is about our comfort. And I, I think we can learn that. From, from this story right here. Jesus will send us into uncomfortable situations, not abusive ones, but uncomfortable ones. Right. And even, I want to come back to what you said. It's really important. Why, why is it true that Jesus isn't sending her back to abuse? I'll tell you why. Because God was sending her back with a, with a little boy named Ishmael. And both Sarai and Abram um, this was a shot, or we already talked about this, this is a shot across the bow. And we we have every reason to believe that Abram and Sarai were repentant of what they did because Abram, that, that's the close of the story. He does name this child Ishmael. I mean, let's just play this the scene out for people. Hagar shows up back home, okay? And she goes it's, to Sarai. Story. Yeah. yeah. She like this is how the story ends. She goes back to Sarai and and Sarah's like, what are you doing here? She says, well, Jesus appeared to me. Sarah's like, oh, really? And Hagar guy's like, yeah, she did. He did. Jesus appeared to me. He told me I'm going to have a son. And that's going to be the proof. If I have a son, you have to believe me. And then she had a son. Now the son's name, she says, my son's name is going to be Ishmael. Oh, really? <laughs> God hears and God sees, which right. you already said it cuts both ways. Now, what? how are Abram and Sarah going to react? Now, some people, I suppose, could put the worst construction on it and say, well, Abram and Sarah just continue to do what they were doing before, even though God heard and saw it all. I cannot believe that for a second. I can't either. That when they when they heard God heard and saw everything that Sarah and Abram had done, and then they had to hear it from Hagar, whom they abused and used. That called for a moment of repentance. We have every reason to believe that they are repentant. The the text says here, Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram agreed with the story. He supported the story. Ishmael gets the name. 
They are not fighting this. They are receiving this in faith. We have this, every reason to believe that. This is just such an interesting thing. But the names of the boys in the family were in 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 both cases signs of repentance. First because of Ishmael, but then later Isaac because Sarai had had laughed at what she thought couldn't be. Um, very interesting. Every time they would use the name, they'd remember how God had had brought them into what is truly life by in repentance. But Timothy, I wanna I I wanna show just a couple more things if I could about Hagar that I think are really vital. Um, he, I, I want to go back to what I said. Hagar sees that she had been seen by Jesus. So she is the gift of faith. Now, I want to unpack that for a second. One, it means she knows that she had been cared about, that her cries had been heard. Jesus did show up to her. She was loved. She was known. She was seen. Um, but but this isn't just this isn't just um, a nice sentimental feeling. Jesus is is more here than just her savior, though he is that. He is also Lord of the whole thing, and we know that because what Jesus does here, and just think about how healing this must have been for this this hurt and abused woman. When you're an abused person, you you can easily think that you don't matter that you are trash, um, that your destiny has been controlled by what was done to you and the people who did it. And Jesus shows up and he says, oh no, your destiny belongs to me. Make no mistake, that's what the, that's what the announcement of this child was. Jesus was saying, I'm not just your savior, Hagar. Hagar. I am your Lord and no one will control your destiny but me. And I am controlling your destiny. And I have given you purpose. You are going to bear a child. And he's going to have a life, Hagar. Now, he's not going to be the, the life, Hagar. He, he's going to live in hostility towards his brother. But you're going to have many descendants. Now, uh, man, sometime I'd love to talk about the power of children in the Bible. Like, um, ah. Having kids is such a gift. Like you can make such a dent in the world. I'm all talking about kids, you know, right now. But just think about that. Inside one person put it like this: inside of every apple seed are hundreds of apples. Think about it. And in every child, there's hundreds of possible people who can make a dent in the world for God. And so this is part of like Hagar. You have an amazing destiny. That I have get, like I have given you purpose. I have given you destiny. It's not Abram. It's not Sarah. I see you. I love you. I'm not just your savior. I am your Lord. And this empowers her to go back and live her life. I'll I'll just say one last thing. Like we're we're gonna have to come back to this later in in Hagar's story. Hagar and Ishmael are gonna come up one more time, but he does not. The Lord when he sends her back. This is important. He does not send her back to her abuse, but rather, if you read the rest of the story, to freedom. She is set free, and Ishmael never becomes Sarai's child. That does not happen. He remains Hagar's child, legally. So there is, 
they both are later set free and we're, we'll look at that later but that is the that is god's end goal ultimately is freedom and there's so much even written in in the new testament about this but lots to unpack probably not something that we can do today i want to say one last thing and then uh, I, I think this is my last thing on this on this story and but i think it's 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 really important remember that this is the first time in all of human history that Jesus reveals himself. And he does it right here with Hagar. This is so comforting. But also remember this, it is not the last time. <laughs> Jesus here comes and he announces the birth of a child. But the day is coming and it has already come in our time where he became a child because he saw all of us. All of us in our lives have been abusers, some more, some less, and all of us have been hurt and victimized. Jesus came and he died to be the ultimate victim to pay for our abuses. He also rose to end all abuses altogether and give us new lives. And those of us who have been baptized and have put our faith in him, we are connected to him. And there is still one more Christophany that we have yet to see. And when he shows up, all of the pain is gonna end forever. He is the one, what I'm trying to say is, he's the Lord. He's not just our savior, he's our Lord. And he's controlling our destiny. And he's promised us that. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to www.thenotablepodcast.com.